0: At CoinGeek's recent conference in Zurich, I had a chance to meet someone who reports widely on technology and has an outsider's perspective on the world of Bitcoin SV. But it's definitely an interested and open-minded take on things, which I enjoyed exploring.
1: You're listening to CoinGeek Conversations with Charles Miller.
0: Welcome to this week's CoinGeek Conversations, and my guest, back by popular demand after her last appearance, which was also at the last CoinGeek conference, the journalist Eileen Brown. Eileen, thank you very much for doing this again.
1: It's a pleasure. It was lovely talking to you in London last time.
0: Thank you. That was in about October last year. Yeah, that's right. Things have changed in the big wide world that you cover as a journalist, particularly people's awareness of Bitcoin, BTC Bitcoin, I think, how would you characterize that?
1: It's quite interesting because everybody just talks about Bitcoin. And if you speak to a non-financial person or a non-investor, they have no idea that there are different versions of Bitcoin uh, from the protocol splits. And when you speak to ordinary people about Bitcoin, they seem to think I'm going to make a lot of money or I'm going to lose a lot of money, the price variation, the fluctuation. And then they've heard about how much energy it takes to make this financial transaction. And all Bitcoins are lumped in together in this perception. And I think there's a lot of work to be done in splitting out the conversations so that Each Bitcoin has a name and is referred to by its name.
0: Right. Because the last kind of big bubble was around the end of 2018 in terms of the price of BTC Bitcoin. And I think it already had a bad reputation then, but it was more in terms of money laundering and you can buy drugs on with Bitcoin and stuff like that. How significant do you think the change in focus to environmental concerns is? Is that really a big shift?
1: I think, yes, it is, because generally people are becoming much more aware of climate change and the awareness of how just how much it costs to process one transaction. And people think this is just completely the wrong way to go about this because it's not green at all. But what they're talking about is BTC. They have no idea that different versions of the protocols can, ex- can scale and therefore each transaction costs proportionately less and uses lesser server cycles. And so, for example, people complain about the gas prices of Ethereum to actually produce one transaction, it uses this much carbon and it costs you this much money to produce one transaction on BTC, it uses this much carbon and costs this much money. Somebody's done a comparison table showing exactly how much CO2 is produced for each version of Bitcoin. And it's quite interesting to see that people are completely unaware of how low a BSV transaction actually is.
0: Yes. And I mean, I think the other point that... People would like to get across here is that BTC's function seems to be nothing more than uh, to provide a way for people to hope to make some money for no particular purpose just because the price has gone up. Whereas the whole push in terms of BSV development is to develop enterprises that actually do something useful. And I think that in terms of the ethics of the thing, that's a a key point that people behind BSV would like to, to stress.
1: It's quite interesting you said that because before I flew out to Switzerland to, for the panel uh, to talk about what the media thinks of Bitcoin, I went and had a look at what I could find out for some case studies for B- BTC and what what media visibility there is for BTC. I can't find any use cases at all. I can't find any enterprise applications that run on BTC. All the conversations about BTC are about how much carbon it uses and how much money people are going to make and also the variability in the price. Um, it, It seems to be very, very volatile. Only recently Elon Musk did a tweet and the price of BTC dropped by 4%. That's quite frightening if you're a significant investor in that protocol because you're relying on one piece of media by one person to potentially uh, affect your future holdings in the currency. It, it needs to be more stable. And if, it, if any currency is going to rise, it, it shouldn't be influenced by one person, I think.
0: Bitcoin SV is in an interesting position. Um, this afternoon at the conference, Nouriel Rabini is going to be talking. Now, he's a huge critic of Bitcoin. And yet... There's not necessarily anything uh, surprising about him being invited to a Bitcoin SV conference because Craig Wright, Satoshi himself, um, is also a huge critic of BTC. But that is a a complicated message to sort of spread widely, I think.
1: I like the fact that CoinGeek Conference has detractors and enthusiasts and it's not just a Uh, conference that where everybody in there are complete, you know, um, waving flags of fandom, because that's really important. It shows that credible organizations always have their critics. And it's it's BSV's job to explain to a, a complete disbeliever and a complete critic to see the other side of the coin. And quite often people find that they're not as closed off when they hear a counter argument, and also, I think it's really important to always see the other person's point of view instead of blindly following your own path and not listening to anybody. I think that's really, really key. You
0: know, one of the other things that has come into the media in a big way since the last conference, and the last time we talked, was this—the whole business of non-fungible tokens (NFTs) and you know, artworks being sold at Sotheby's for tens of millions of dollars and stuff. And then the whole question of, well, what are you actually buying? Because I can already see the painting in its digital form, just like the person who's bought it. Bitcoin SV is also big on tokens. That's one of the things that is going to produce enterprises on Bitcoin SV. Do you think that this whole NFT hype is going to help or hinder people's uh, confidence in what BSV can do with it?
1: I'm absolutely fascinated with NFTs. When I first heard about them, I had no idea. I couldn't understand why anybody would want to buy a piece of virtual uh, real estate, virtual art, virtual whatever it is. And people spend a huge amount of money for the digital versions of a physical item that they already have. There's a clothing firm in London that does Uh, I think it's called overpriced and it sells overpriced jackets and digital versions of the overpriced jacket. So if I'm going to go and buy a jacket, I would like to buy a real one that I can wear. And it took me a long time to understand that even owning something digital was key. And I can equate it to getting um, an email from Bill Gates. That's just a piece of digital transmission but to me that would be really important and it was trying to switch that concept around from uh, getting an email from calvin for example yeah Yeah, or from craig wright because some people would really really value that email that they would get but it's a digital piece of real estate isn't it it's just an email
0: right but isn't the difference here that if you get an email from Bill Gates it's going to say to Eileen from Bill and okay so I can still see that you can maybe even send me I could print and frame it on the wall but it's not going to be as valuable to me because it doesn't show that I had any connection whereas with these artworks the artwork itself is exactly the same for me to see as for the owner to see who's spent all that money I think that's A difference
1: so with a piece of digital art it's of value to me I hold it and because it's on the blockchain I own it you can't take that off me it's always on the blockchain as proof I've owned it as soon as I forwarded Bill Gates's email to you I've given away my ownership of it I can track that it came to me but it's not mine anymore you can edit that email and pretend it's yours by spoofing or whatever. You can't do that on the blockchain. That piece of art that I've paid for is mine. And understanding the difference in the immutability of this piece of digital art that might not even be replicated in a physical world. It may just be a piece of digital art. That's how I started to understand it. It's always on the blockchain. You can't delete something off the blockchain. So that piece of digital art will always be mine because it's in a record.
0: Right. I, that and that's absolutely right in relation to digital items that are on the blockchain but there's a lot of tokens that are tokenizing you know anything in the physical world where the connection between the token and the item is far less secure I would say. And that's where it's hard to get your head around the whole idea. But then, on the other hand, you might say, "I've got a receipt for this item of clothing that I've just bought." There's no less uh, secure connection between this piece of paper that says I own it. It doesn't say it on the on the pair of trousers that I bought. That you know that I've bought it. So perhaps we need to be more sort of open-minded to the idea that there isn't necessarily. A, hundred percent it's a legal thing rather than a rather than a technological thing that is going to prove ownership in a lot of those cases
1: and tokens can be traded don't forget especially in gaming industries uh, there's lots and lots of use cases as opposed to just digital o- ownership there's lots and lots of different scenarios and I think we're we're seeing the birth of something that's going to become more valuable as more and more use cases for nfts appear and enterprises start to realize that Okay, I can do this with this particular token or this with this particular token. Uh, Currently, the art world is leading in this with NFTs for digital art. But I think there'll be a lot more um, use cases coming forward as different styles of NFT come out and get adopted in the enterprise.
0: I mean, yes, there are lots of new tokens available and wallets are now adapting themselves to accommodate any number of tokens, my concern, I suppose, is that if I own, you know, 25 different kinds of tokens, all different amounts of each one, and then each one has a different value that changes every day, I may be absolutely bamboozled as to whether I can afford to buy something or not, because I would need to do all sorts of calculations to add everything up. And I maybe need to have a full-time accountant to let me know whether I'm in the credit or not, at the end of the day.
1: It's funny that you said that, because when you were mentioning the price changes every day in my head, I thought BTC. BTC is on a, a wild slalom ride at the moment with uh, price fluctuations. I don't see it in the other currencies.
0: There's more and more talk that I'm hearing around BSV that Ethereum is really the main competitor Rather than BTC I mean that we we share the Bitcoin name with with BTC, but in terms of tokenization and functionality, Ethereum is the one to beat. How would you rate that
1: competition as a journalist, I get PR pitches coming in I get more PR pitches for various um, projects that are on Ethereum than any other protocol. But a lot of the Ethereum uh, contracts are off-chain uh, because it's faster and there's you can control the gas prices, whereas on-chain you've got huge Ethereum gas prices. So a lot of companies that are using Ethereum tend to do most of their transactions off-chain. It's almost like they're private blockchain. I don't see that with BSV. I see complete transparency across the way. Uh, with uh, BSV projects. But with Ethereum, there's a lot of stuff that goes on that you, you would never know about. So, yes, I see um, a lot of different applications for Ethereum. Nothing for BTC or Bitcoin Cash or nothing like that. Uh, they focus on the money, whereas I really want, I'm interested in the technology, not how much potential something's actually going to have financially. And I, I feel like a bit of an, an outlier at the conference here because everybody I speak to has got some kind of financial background and uh, I, I want to have this little flag-waving techie, really. <laughs> nothing, nothing to do with finance. Right, Because for me... It's about the capabilities. It's not about the money. Uh, I know you need to pay to put something on the blockchain. And uh, So I know there's a financial tra- transaction involved. And I do understand that the cost per transaction is tiny with BSV because of the blocks. But what I'm more interested in is the scalability and the, the massive amount of computing power. You've got Potential, so much potential. And that really waves my little geeky flag because it's all about the technology. It's not about somebody running their own node because what if they go on holiday? Uh, you don't have five nines uptime anymore. You need big um, mining uh, companies that have got five nines availability, which is less than five minute downtime per year. You round then. Um, yeah, yeah I was just... To, wondering what I that was trying is. to compute that. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, so you want something that is available, always secure, well managed infrastructure that never has any downtime. And
0: that's the node network.
1: That is. That's the larger nodes on the network. It's not somebody with a server in his house right. trying to compete to produce a block on his own. This is something that the enterprise is going to go for: some a secure, well managed infrastructure.
0: Yes. Well, I mean, I don't know whether I should say this, but you, you're beginning to sound like Dr. Craig Wright in some of, <laughs> some of your messages there um, about big industrial servers rather than the person at home. And um, so I'm sure he'd be pleased to hear that. But one of his other messages that has been in my mind uh, in the last couple of days is the distinction that he always makes Um, that uh, Bitcoin is not anonymous, it's pseudonymous. And people shouldn't think that using a Bitcoin network, whether it's BTC or BSV, is some way of hiding transactions. And we've seen in the news uh, from the States, the Department of Justice and the FBI have tracked down a whole lot of money that was paid in ransomware. And they've done it by... Uh, following the money through all sorts of different Bitcoin transactions. It seems to me that uh, Dr. Wright's message is being proved in front of our eyes with something like that. Would you agree?
1: It's quite interesting. I think there was a fundamental problem with the term cryptocurrency. It makes people believe that it's secret. And because a block address is a huge string of gobbledygook, People tend to think that that's an encrypted address and therefore my parcel of money can't be seen by anybody. Whereas it's not really. The actual transaction is transparent on the web. The only bit that's secret about it is the my private um, key to actually get on the blockchain, private and public key. That's the crypto bit. I think that block, uh, the, the cryptocurrency it's really digital currency. It's not cryptocurrency, because I think uh, in getting the ransomware back, the FBI went back uh, 24 transactions to watch the money move across different addresses. And there's some accounts on Twitter that when a big amount of money is moved from one block to another, um, there's an automated, uh, automated bot tweets that uh, this amount of money has moved from this block to this block. Although we don't know who owns that block, it's visible, it's transparent. And maybe back in the annals of time, the person that decided it was called cryptocurrency should have thought about it a little bit harder and thought it's actually a digital currency because that's what it is.
0: Yes. I mean,
1: cryptography comes into
0: it, I think. It's to do with the hashing and uh, the irreversible uh, formula that produces the hash. So it's just that it's not, as you say, in the final result that is cryptographic.
1: Yeah. It's not that secret. The transaction is on the blockchain, but the secret bit is who, who owns that block, who actually made that transaction. That's the bit that's uh, safe and secure for your eyes only.
0: So sticking with this sort of political uh, area, I'm just wondering whether if we talk at the next CoinGeek conference, which would be very nice, we will see new relationships between government and regulators and Bitcoin, partly in the light of some of these uh, uh, developments in relation to ransomware and so on. Do you think that Bitcoin is going to be sort of embraced within the established financial world uh, rather than, as perhaps some people in in it would like, being sort of independent and uh, Uh, free of any kind of government interference as they would see it.
1: That's almost like the open source argument compared to the proprietary software argument. And I think it'll be quite interesting to watch uh, from this conference in Switzerland to the next Bitcoin conference, because in the news this week, um, El Salvador has now said that it will accept Bitcoin as currency, which means... All the shopkeepers have to accept Bitcoin, um, and the, the media is reporting it as Bitcoin, but there's no f- version of Bitcoin specified, and it's almost as as though this country is going to be, become a case study watched very carefully with the regulators uh, by the regulators. Is it going to fail? Is it going to succeed? And if it succeeds, will more and more countries adopt it? So I think we're in a very interesting position at the moment, especially because this has just happened.
0: And where would you bet your Bitcoin on that question?
1: Oh, I don't have any Bitcoin. I don't, I've never bought any Bitcoin because I don't want to be um, biased to any one currency. I was given $5 in Bitcoin so I could start to put stuff on the blockchain. on a couple of apps. And what I did was I paid it forward when I introduced uh, somebody else to BSV, but I've never actually bought any. And, And I really, really believe that if I own BTC or Ethereum, I would naturally want that product to succeed. Whereas I I think my wallet has earned under, I I don't look at it, $50 from my activities across all the... I'm I'm never going to be rich. But if I was a betting person... Yes, I I, I
0: really meant it in a metaphorical sense. Right, I've just (laughs)
1: gone down that complete path. Thank you very much.
0: Um, Do, Do you think the El Salvador thing or something like that... Is the start of something big or is it just a strange little anomaly that's just a little footnote to history?
1: I think the challenges will outweigh the benefits from the country that because of the fact that the man in the street has no idea what Bitcoin is, doesn't understand it, unless it's positioned in a way such as Apple Pay and you and the shopkeeper can actually get hard currency from this digital world. I think it will take a long time to get adopted from the regulators will be watching this really, really carefully because this is a small country and it could be the start of something big or it could absolutely crash and burn like the South Sea bubble did uh, 250 years ago, something like this. Uh, I think the world's eyes will be on that lovely little country.
0: Final question then. We're at the CoinGeek conference. This is your second CoinGeek conference, both under sort of COVID conditions. So a little bit strange, but just give me a word about what what the atmosphere is like and what what you found interesting so
1: far. I find that the the COVID safe environment makes you feel very confident. I love the fact that all the attendees of the conference were given uh, a face mask, a branded face mask. I like the fact that in the auditorium, all the chairs are socially distanced so that you can actually remove your face mask when you're watching. I think there's a lot of energy here. I like the integration as well with people physically on stage and people who are not in the room who are dialing in from all over the world. I like the seamlessness of the engagement uh, remotely and physically It's fabulous to actually come to Switzerland, a country I've never been to before. And it's really lovely to actually be here. And I like the side conversations with a whole variety of different people. I would love to come back wherever it happens to be in the world, wearing my mask and uh, with the CoinGeek branding on it.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you, Eileen. And, you know, hopefully one day we won't be talking about masks and uh, hand sanitizers and life will get back to a, a new normal. The new normal, which is the same as the old normal, we hope.
1: Once we've vaccinated the whole world and recorded the fact that we vaccinated the whole world in yes. the blockchain, yes, maybe, we, be maybe we shouldn't
0: hold our breath.
1: <laughs> it's going to take some time.
0: Eileen Brown, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you. Many thanks to Eileen Brown. Next week, we're leaving Zurich to meet Joe DePinto and Dan Wagner, the founders of Haste in the United States, to talk online gaming and entrepreneurship. Thanks for listening. And do please join me, Charles Miller, again next week for another CoinGeek Conversation.